Everyone who knows me knows that my dogs are never short on outfits. I buy leashes and collars like some people buy shoes and handbags. And my favorite collar is Iggy's custom-made Paco collar. Paco collars are 100% handmade from scratch by an amazing staff of artists, and the quality really is unparalleled. My dogs can't have collars that don't withstand wear and tear. They hike, they swim, they roll on dead stuff. These collars are guaranteed to last a lifetime, and they're designed to be worn by active dogs like mine. Iggy's collar is perfect for her. It's got purple stones, stars, and a beautiful design. There are literally thousands of design options to choose from, but don't worry. The staff at Paco loves helping customers pick out the best collar for their pets. That's exactly what they did when I went to their booth with Iggy. And they make stuff for humans too, so get over to pacocollars.com and buy the best collar you've ever had, and don't forget to enter promo code COGDOG for free shipping. You guys, I'm so excited. For the first time ever, the dog people of the internet are going to be gathering together in person. Worked Up Camp. It's a three-day camp September 29th through October 1st in Port Orchard, Washington. It's for you, the dog people of the internet, who have participated in in in-person Worked Up seminars and online Worked Up classes. We're going to gather to progress those skills that you learned in the seminars or in the classes. We're going to do arousal layering games. We're going to take those to the next level. We're going to focus on those clean training practices that you have learned are so important. We're going to get you in and out of the ring. So how do you actually apply these worked up skills to a competition-like setting? And what do you do in competition when things go wrong and you can't do a cookie scatter? It's going to be all of that and so much more. And the best part is going to be this amazing community of people who I have seen come together online to support each other as you work with your worked up dogs and support and love your worked up dogs. I can't wait and I hope you're excited too. So join the Facebook event page. Just search for Worked Up Camp on Facebook to find the event and then click interested or going and then you'll get all of the updates about it as we continue to produce those updates. And of course, at any time, if you've got questions about anything, shoot me an email, cognitivecanine at gmail.com. Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of The Cognitive Canine, and this is Cog Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. Hey guys, I am in New Zealand. I'm sitting here with my friend Annie Thorne. I've been staying at her house for the last week and I just wrapped up Worked Up New Zealand, which was a really fantastic version of Worked Up, if I do say so myself. Um, I really enjoyed it and now we're just kind of sightseeing and hanging out and I roped Annie into having a conversation with me about... Her very special dog, Wally, um, who's wrestling with his sister right now. So you may hear some little um, noises from their play, which is, I think, only an added benefit of just recording a podcast anywhere you happen to be. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit about Wally because Wally is the reason that I know Annie. And he is really special and has had a lot of 
really unique challenges that um, hearing about might help some people who are struggling. <laughs> and that was not Wally. That was his bratty little sister, Tig. <laughs> we all, a lot of us have bratty little sisters. Um, all right. Hi, Annie. Hi, Sarah. How are you today? I'm well, thanks. Wonderful. Um, tell us a little bit about Wally. We met online in my Perfect Patients online course. And why, why did you even find Perfect Patients from across the world? Well... One day, an email landed in my inbox, and the subject line was, does your dog hate the vet? And Wally does, did, does hate the vet. Um, so I read on, and I read about your perfect patience class, and I thought it sounded wonderful, but I had concerns about how working through a six-week online class would help me get would my do anything would do anything <laughs> would help me get my dog out of the car um so we corresponded and, and you acknowledged that um we had some challenges but that working through the material that you had um, put together in the class would could only be helpful um but that it, you know it may not address everything that i had to to deal with um but that was enough to um convinced me to give it a go uh, and I think we definitely made some progress um, and it helped me understand the the concept of cooperative care which was a new idea um, and advocating for my dog in the face of fear and anxiety um, that we did perfect patients twice yeah Twice. And um, we still have challenges at the, at the vet. It's it's an ongoing process, but the work that um, the work that we did and the things that I've learned both during that class and since have have been phenomenal. Um, they definitely benefit him in in other aspects of his daily life. Um, they've been beneficial for his bratty sister. Um, <laughs> beneficial for the cat. You know, I am oh, wow. now. Yeah. Um, you know, I I incorporate those philosophies into all everything that we do vet visit no vet visit um it, it's um changed our lives that's really um fantastic to hear and i think it's important to know that you know while wally still has struggles with the vet specifically um so many things have changed for him since starting that work and I do think a lot of people really think that their dog's issues with the vet are just too daunting to even touch mm. um which is understandable but you've gone from um having a vet visit be really traumatic for either of you mm. both of you mm -hmm. to having it be something that is while probably still dreaded for you both manageable and maybe doesn't qualify as a trauma mm, anymore yeah. um i he even is eating in the car he outside the of the car. vet now yeah. which he didn't used to mm. um the, he'll take the panic used to set in as we drove in as you drove into the car park there right yeah and he will take food from the vet nurse staff 
whilst he's still in the car, they'll come. And to that's the car huge. Park. That is huge. That's that is enormous. Absolutely huge. Because they come out and uh, they do an injectable sedative for him for yep. any procedure, which was yes. something that you and I discussed. Correct. Um, because when you're trying to get somewhere with cooperative care, you cannot continue to traumatize the dog with vet visits. Yeah. And I think that's a hard thing for people to get their Very hard. And it's hard for the veterinarians, too, because your vet wasn't using those big guns for him. Correct. Your vet was saying, you know, I don't want to use an injectable sedative. I don't. I want to use an oral mm. Valium type of, you know, whatever. And it wasn't touching his that's panic. Right. I mean, we tried with um you know we tried with the with the lesser options because obviously um we want to use the we want to be conservative with drugs sure we want to use the least possible um and so yeah we tried the oral anxiolytics which did nothing literally nothing literally nothing yeah. um, and you used them appropriately you oh, gave them absolutely. at the right times i know you were religious about it mm. and i think a lot of people have experienced them do literally nothing yeah. in those cases and the fear is just, just from my everything. personal experience with the same kind of drugs and the same kind of panic um once you are panicking those drugs actually cannot cannot mm. do anything and those drugs oh, they're really only designed to help you you know, be able to mentally manage a scary situation. And if the dog is actually undergoing a trauma, they'll do nothing. Or mm. if the person is actually undergoing a trauma, they'll do Correct. nothing. They just aren't that powerful. Um, so you had, you have a good relationship with your vet. I have an excellent relationship with my vet. Um, he's been my vet for, oh, oh, well, all the time I've been in New Zealand. So it's 11 or 12 years. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's tremendous. Yeah, and so he's always willing to try Absolutely. things that you bring up and bring to the table, which is really key. Um, and I want to encourage people to try to have those conversations with their vet because I think what they do instead is they go, well, my vet wants to use this drug. And I want to say, well, did you ask mm. about other options? Because I think people don't. They just kind of feel like that's maybe crossing professional boundaries or something like that. And I think as long as you come at it from a respectful standpoint, I think you and your dog's doctor have a mutual respect for each other. And so you get him to think outside the box on all kinds of things. I feel like you've changed his life as much as the class changed Wally's life. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how how he'd respond to that but yes <laughs> whether he yeah. wanted you whether he, he didn't yeah. really think his life needed to be changed yeah he does kind of give me that what is it this time look um, but that's fine we, I think I'll probably a lot of the listeners are that client for their vets mm. that their vets go what is it this time yeah um, I've, I, I I've certainly been that, that person I, um, I acknowledge that freely and, and say yeah I, I know I'm your one you're your special client special <laughs> special needs um and so with wally's vet stuff it was a combination of just teaching him that he's empowered and that he has the power over most procedures yes correct um and that anytime there isn't going to be a choice involved you are using an injectable sedative yeah. to make it 
so that it isn't a trauma for him. That's right, yes. And that's why, I'm going to say that's why he can eat food from the nurses in the car park. When he would previously become aggressive towards them if they approached him well, in the car just, park. It just was not an option. And you guys have to understand that to even imagine this dog being aggressive in any way, that's Tig ringing the bell to go outside. She's like, hello. <laughs> let her out, which consequently means we'll have to let her in, but that's fine. Um, if you see Wally, if you have met Wally like I now have had the pleasure of meeting him, to imagine him ever resorting to any kind of aggression is so sad he must have been so terrified because he's the most docile sweet lovely animal mm. and i think that's one of the things that um has been quite hard for my vet to reconcile because he's never seen him I mean, he saw him as a puppy but has never seen him like this and and has spoken to me um with some justifiable concerns that um you know how's wally in other situations you know What's his, yeah, your what, vet's what, like, is this dog dangerous? Is he dangerous? Is yeah. he a threat? What's his quality of life like? Yeah. Um, and I don't think he's a threat. I don't think he's dangerous. And I think his quality of life is pretty good. I, he's literally about as good a dog as he can be. I mean, he's he's what people want in a pet dog, I think. Mm. He's go with the flow. He's sweet. He can. He's literally just laying in a bed in the sun right now, and he's completely content to do that for most of the day. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he is. He's like the perfect pet dog. And so when your vet's only experience of him is this complete mess, mm. I can understand why that was. Yeah. And he up. was quite, he was absolutely right to ask me those questions. Yeah, I mean, he was. This, yeah. I, I think that was a, you know, professionally responsible thing to do. Yeah. Um, but now you guys, well, and here's the other hurdle. And I wanted to talk about this at some point, but. One of the hurdles was that in our work together with Wally, I really had concerns that there was something systemically wrong with him, mm. which when you have a dog that's terrified of the vet is pretty hard to figure out. And so you literally went to the ends of the earth to find out um, if there was, and he is hypothyroid. Yes. And not an easy diagnosable hypothyroid either. So do you want to talk a little bit about mm. the epic journey <laughs> that you went on to get him properly diagnosed? Uh, yes. Well, the um, I mean, firstly, the idea that um, a behaviorally. Uh, a behavioral problem can be a result of a medical. Um, problem. Problem. Yeah. Um, hadn't crossed my mind um and in terms of hypothyroidism he had no none of the classic physical symptoms his weight's good his condition's good his coat's good um but but the sort of lethargy and um depression depression We're literally uh, gonna call it depression. a depression yeah. um um anxiety of uh new situations um and then random things that would crop up that would worry him for instance the freezer terrified mm. of the freezer mm -hmm. because things fall out hit the floor make a noise worries, yeah. worrisome um so that yeah the idea that um that there could be a medical cause behind all of this was um 
not something I'd considered. But we talked about the possibility of hypothyroidism, for which the only way to get a diagnosis is a blood sample. Right. Which from a dog who's highly vet phobic is a daunting mission. Um, And so we tested here. And in New Zealand, we have the standard test is, is the T4 which has a very, very broad range of what's considered normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if there's any doubt in the T4, they usually use the TSH, which exactly has about a 30% margin yeah, of error. Yeah, you go T4, then you go TSH, and neither of them are good. No. So T4 alone is, is not is not sufficient. Really, it doesn't tell you much. doesn't yeah. tell you much. You have this really huge broad range of normal, then you have a thing called low normal, and then you have low. <laughs> um, and so doing lots of reading, as I tend to do, I, I found that these um, tests were potentially a little bit vague. We did the standard testing. Wally came out at the bottom of low normal. So potentially still considered by our lab standards as normal. But by... My standards, that was, um, and and with what we were seeing, and then with also with your support, Sarah, and, and suggesting references for me to look at, it was sufficient for me to get my vet to do a treatment trial of thyroxin. Good, yeah. Uh, so that's where we started, just with the standard New Zealand testing. Um, and we, we started him on thyroxin, and I would say within a couple of days, I was starting to see changes in his level of engagement um willingness to be involved his his personality was that would have lifted a little yeah um and so we he had after about i think four to six weeks they recommend a retest and i was adamant that that test was going to take place at the hemopet lab in california mm-hmm so that was an another interesting conversation you with the vet. <laughs> shipped blood from New Zealand to California. Yeah. Ser- technically serum. They spin off. Serum. So it's yeah, the serum. Yeah. So I um, investigated that, contacted the Hemopat lab, um, talked to other people that had shipped internationally. I couldn't find anyone that had done it from New Zealand, but Hemopat uh, assured me that they had had samples from here and it was possible. Um, talked to my vet, my very understanding vet. <laughs> sent him the your information. Vet like, my vet, do you do anything else, woman, with yeah. your life? <laughs> my vet, who said, "Sure, Annie. What? What is it this sure, time?" Sure, Annie. What would you like from me now? <laughs> and so, um, and you know, he was um, very interested in the results and, and and what it would show. So we, um, so we put my poor dog through this procedure again. Um, sent the sample to Hemopet, which was a little debacle in itself, but it got there. Um, <laughs> I'd chosen the wrong shipping service. It got returned to the post office. A friend of mine who is um, works for New Zealand Post was able to help me find out what the problem was um, and get it on the correct shipping service. And, and the process from then on was simple. Um, and it confirmed what we'd suspected originally, that he was um, in the that low normal range um, was hyperthyroid and we were correct to be treating him and that the dose he was on looked to be um, adequate for him. 
Um, and as time has gone on, I mean, we had, have tested him a couple of times since, um, and his state, his levels are stable. Always through Hemopet, his levels are stable, um, and he will continue to be on Dioxin. Um, and it was great to see that yeah. sort of mystery um, start to get itself solved. I do think that thyroxin alone um, was not sufficient for him. I think he's benefited tremendously from the what I call mental rehab work that you and yeah. I have done together. Yeah. I think the thyroxin was a was a was absolutely crucial to that success. Totally crucial, but we had hit a point where we couldn't do any better, which was why I pushed you to look further at him medically. Mm. I usually bring it up in the beginning with anybody that I'm working with. And I want to say, you know, has the dog been considered, you know, sufficiently healthy mm. by a veterinarian in recent months? Mm. And that's usually my first question. If the answer to that is yes, we proceed. And then if we hit a wall or if something just kind of feels not right with the dog to me, that's when I want people to look further. Mm. And you're not the only person that um, has found their dog to actually be in the low normal range or actually hypothyroid when they were previously considered normal mm. um, once we went after it. And so I think that especially when changes occur in the dog later in life, so anything after age two, if you have major behavior changes after age two, um, you always want to be very thorough in ruling out a medical cause. Um, I can't prove this, but I believe or suspect that some of the dogs that I've worked with experience um, chronic pain in much the same way that a lot of people can experience unexplained mm -hmm. chronic pain. Um, and, you know, these are things that just take consideration and thoughtfulness and a good relationship with your veterinarian to try to figure out. Um, once Wally's thyroid actually got treated appropriately, so many things started to get better. Mm. He's not afraid of the freezer. No. He can get in the car. He can get in the car. Getting in the car oh my God. was such a big problem for mm. you guys and i've now been here and i've seen him a couple of times go i think i want to get in the car but then your other dog jumps in the car and he's like okay fine and he jumps yeah. in the car and it's like not it's not a big deal mm. i would say it's not any bigger deal than felix who doesn't who also mm. doesn't really want to get in the car um and i so many other things what are some of the other things that he is better about oh his i mean he ran so hard on the beach and he like <laughs> plays with tig really hard and I, he just looks normal mm. and he'll go in the crate now. he'll go in his crate he had he developed a loathing of his crate it was unex unexplained yeah to me. just out of the blue out of, to me out of the blue he's been crated um since he was a puppy slept in a crate was crate trained was crate trained positively and appropriately um and yeah out of the seemingly out of the blue i have no idea what the trigger was or if there even was a tangible trigger 
um, he wouldn't go in his crate. And that was a struggle because... We were using it for management. We were using it for management. We were using it when the um, management, when we had tradesmen in the house, we were using it as management if the cat hadn't eaten the cat's medicated food. Um, You know, it was a sort of integral part of life. And until I could kind of see a way around it, he was, I'm ashamed to say, shoved in his crate and he would sit and tremble. Yeah. And that's no fun. No. And that makes me very sad. For anybody. <laughs> yeah. And I remember us talking about that and we, you know, we mm. found a way around it. But then, but really just getting to the bottom of yeah. his health concerns mm. was the real way around it. That, yes. And I've and... watched him just walk in his crate mm. and curl up and go to sleep. Yeah. Multiple times while I've been here. And we, we've, um, we were able to, you know, sort of change a few things. <laughs> you saying to me, so why does he need to be in his crate? Which was a fair question because, obviously, it's a fair question. Um, and we sort of thought a few things out. And one one evening, so he used to be crated overnight. And um, and one evening I didn't put him in his crate. And and that was it. And he hasn't been crated overnight since. And that's about 18 months ago. And um, no, we don't fine. have tradesmen in the house in the middle of the night. And the cat, we've sorted out the cat's medicated food. Yeah. Um and um and it's totally fine and and no one has um no one's died and um <laughs> and he's really happy he doesn't have to go in his crate. So I think that's one of those examples of choice um that yeah. when you allow them to say no right uh, then they realize they have a choice and then sometimes they say yes. And and the the reality is that he doesn't a- apart from management issues when we have tradesmen in the house when I would um, put him in his crater, and I know that that wouldn't be a traumatic experience for him now, um, he he doesn't need to be, and then often he chooses to go in. Yeah, so you've just removed this you-have-to component. Mm. And it is amazing how often when that component is taken out, I think people are afraid that the dog will never agree mm. to doing the thing again if the person gives the dog a choice. And the amazing thing is that the opposite is mm. usually true. That usually if you just give them a choice and you just respect what their choice is, they do come around um, to it because so often it's, you know, for whatever reason he decided the crate was scary. Mm. But then the fact that he still had to go in there every day made it worse. And then you got a thyroid under control. You stopped making him go in there. And now the crate's safe again mm. to him. Yeah. And that's all you did. Yep. There was no counter conditioning program. No. There was no, I mean, no. you just said, okay, fine. You don't have to go in yeah. there anymore. And then one day I look around and he's in there. He's put himself in there and he settled down. I was a bit you were like, mind blown by that. Because okay. I was planning to use it for storage. <laughs> yeah. You were like, well. Okay. <laughs> Guess I'm just going to shove some of this FitPaws equipment in here. <laughs> oh, um, I think that, you know, lots of times on this podcast we talk about sport dogs and performance dogs and all of their stuff and all of their issues. And I'm teaching um, Hidden Potential on 
Fenzy Dog Sports Academy right now, which is Wally's course, really. <laughs> um, he, he had a gold spot in the first time I ran it. And so many of the concepts in that course are from him and dogs that I've worked with like him. And I just want to encourage everybody that if your dog seems to be randomly anxious, seems to be lethargic or depressed, seems to have kind of a moodiness or an up and down, um, to investigate their health. Because I think, um, first of all, canine hypothyroidism is like, is rampant. Oh, it's. It's rampant. It's the, absolutely. And, you know, we could talk about why maybe that is, but it is rampant. And because it is so rampant, I think that um, it's worth investigating. And it's also just worth investigating their health on a whole kind of, on a holistic kind of level. So just making sure that they are well is really important and um you can always dig deeper than you have dug i think is kind of the mm. the key point because yeah start by just scratching away at the surface but if you don't find it keep looking keep looking because it's probably there and i think that's what happened with wally and yeah you had to use you know, injectable drugs to get him yeah. into the vet to get his blood drawn, and it was really traumatic. But you, but look what you figured out. Mm. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah, um, and I, I mean, and, uh, so many people um, share stories of the dogs, successes and failures and wins, and um, I, I just, I wonder if half of them have. Have got hypothyroidism, um, and I I know that there are people who've suspected that their dog might be hypothyroid, and have tested, presumably just the bare minimum. Yeah, and been told the dog's fine. Right. But when they share stories of their dogs, I suspect they're not fine. Sure. Even um, I've had clients whose dogs were at the very lowest end of normal and you know the vet report is just that the dog is in the normal range mm. and because the veterinarian you know might look at the dog i've worked with too many veterinarians who didn't realize that um behavior changes were a major mm. symptom they're one of the first they usually show up they well usually show before up well any before of the, the physical... coat changes or yeah. anything else like that um and I think what's important to emphasize is that behavioral changes are symptomatic. People would look at Wally and they would say he's not symptomatic because his coat is normal. His weight is normal. Um, he doesn't look hypothyroid. He never did. And so they would say he's not symptomatic, but he, his behavior was his the behavior symptom. was a symptom. And then, and that's happened to uh, more than one of my clients that, They've just kind of had to push harder, dig deeper, mm. be the advocate for their dog's care. Um, and especially because it is an epidemic of sorts, um, 
I think it's worth checking out um, in all of our dogs and continuing to keep an eye on it, especially mm. if there are behavioral changes. Absolutely. And just because you live in New Zealand doesn't mean that you can't <laughs> and the crazy send, thing, send a sample out to a lab across the world to try no, to get it figured it's out. it's actually really straightforward. And um, it's also cheaper than trying mm. to get the cobbling together the equivalent, the nearest equivalent testing here. It's actually cheaper to just cut to the chase and go to Hemopet. Yeah. So. Yeah. You, you get... When you told me kind of what you had spent on it, I was actually surprised. Yeah. Um, that it wasn't outrageous. Yeah. The the biggest bill the biggest part of the, the bill for me was the sedation. Exactly. Which Wally needed. Which Wally needed. Especially. And we, yeah. <laughs> yes. Right? It doesn't have anything yeah. to do actually with what you were doing, but no. it has everything to do no. with Wally. So from everything that you have learned with Wally about a year and a half ago, you got Tig. Mm. who's basically his polar opposite but yes. <laughs> um, yeah. she is his polar opposite but i'm sure that he's had a lot of influence on how you've raised her so talk about that a little bit oh. <laughs> um well she actually has benefited from all of those uh, those skills that we've learned she um she has lots of positive experiences at the vet yeah um she grades most of her visits as successful um but i i think small wins like um she was there for her annual checkup recently and we had probably just pushed her a little bit too far and she said no thank you to her final vaccination and so she didn't get it yeah we said no not having that it's you not necessary said, okay moving okay, on we're moving we on do we're that done. at a later date yeah it wasn't essential uh to be done right there right then she'd said no i'm done with this and so we left and and then you went back and yeah. walked in and made sure she had a positive experience yeah, I to went, end the day on. absolutely <laughs> i went back a couple of hours later because i we'd gone off and done our various things and i was driving past a few hours later and there was the reception was empty so we popped in she got hugs from a couple of the nurses hopped on the scales had a few treats did a few tricks um, the vet happened to be um, available to come out and, and make a fuss of her and also give her treats and and so on and um and then we left and at some point i'll reschedule that final vaccination um and i imagine it will go schedule. just fine and it will go just fine yeah um They'll, you know, I should probably suggest a couple of things, a couple of, you know, fake shots first. Yeah. Um, and, and do a, do a, you know, try and make it as low stress, fear free as possible. Yeah. She's the opposite of depressed, though. She is. She's, 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 <laughs> a, she's wild. <laughs> um, and, and, and possibly I've um, neglected some of, some of her requirements. Um, <laughs> Because I've spent so much time working on, on Wally, um, but yeah, she's <laughs> she's like shoving her way into the interview right yeah. now. Hi, she, she she wants to be she wants a podcast on her too. Tig, you deserve a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> she is pretty much always butting in. 
Um, <laughs> she she is kind of pushy. <laughs> That's okay. All right, Annie. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation with me and for having Leslie and I in your home, um, and really for bringing us to New Zealand because it's really a dream come true and a place that both of us have always wanted to see. And I think <laughs> we can thank Wally for bringing us together. He's a very special dog. Thanks for listening to Cog Dog Radio. If you have questions or suggestions, shoot them over to cogdogradio at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page. And until next time, happy training.